Hello and welcome to another episode of GDPR Now, our podcast dedicated to all things related to data privacy and data security with all sorts of technology in between. Your host today is me, Karen Heaton, owner of Data Protection for Business, still recording from my home office in Southwest London. In this episode, we're going to talk about the regulation of artificial intelligence and what businesses need to think about from a regulatory and operational perspective to embrace the changes in the coming decade. So to help me with this today, I'm absolutely delighted to introduce Ben Muller, who's a senior policy analyst at the Centre for Data Innovation, focusing on AI and technology governance. Now, prior to joining the Centre, Ben was chief of staff at a financial technology company in London. And prior to that, Dr. Muller studied politics, philosophy and economics at the University of Oxford. He also completed his PhD in international relations at the London School of Economics, So it's very well placed to talk to us about this today. So Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you, delighted to be here. Would you like to tell us a little bit about the Centre for Data Innovation? Because I'm thinking maybe not many people have heard about it. Yeah, of course. The um, Centre for Data Innovation is a think tank based uh, in Brussels and Washington DC. And what we do is promote um, pragmatic public policies um, that help to maximize the benefits of data-driven innovation in the public and private sectors. So we try and educate policymakers and the public about the opportunities and challenges associated with data uh, and the promise of data-driven innovation. And we also conduct research on technology trends around topics like open data, artificial intelligence, and the Internet of Things. And we produce short-form and long-form reports on topics running the gamut from quantum computing or the state of the AI race between the US, Europe and China, and then also uh, more recently a technical explainer of the Artificial Intelligence Act that the European Union is currently proposing. Yes. So how would businesses interact with the centre? Well, we organise a number of events that uh, are um, publicly accessible. We also host uh, private roundtables. Um, We are always uh, interested to hear from uh, stakeholders in the world of business and civil society. And, you know, anyone is always welcome to get in touch with the Centre for Data Innovation. Um, Our contact details are available on our website. And there's all kinds of ways in which uh, it's possible to interact with us. Brilliant. Okay, And we'll also have your details in the show notes as well, if any listeners want to get in contact with you. And I have to say that from personal experience, Ben, you've been, it's very kind of you to come on the show today because I contacted you, you know, after reading an article in The Economist. The topic of that article was the EU wants to become the world's super regulator in artificial intelligence. And when I saw it and your name was mentioned in it, I reached out to you and, and, and here you are. So thank you for that. So, yeah, we're talking about artificial intelligence today and obviously the regulation of it but we also want to try and find solutions for businesses who want to operate in that space. So can we take a little bit of a look globally just to sort of understand how is it being regulated or perhaps not quite yet, but what you see coming down the tracks globally for artificial intelligence regulation? Well, over the last couple of months, it's become very clear that regulators and lawmakers are in the process of drafting rules and regulations that are going to shape how companies use artificial intelligence. And we're seeing these kinds of 
legislative efforts um, in the EU, which seems to be the leader of the pack. Um, but there's also new rules around uh, the use of data coming out of China. And then uh, very recently, also in the United States, we've seen a bunch of signals from various governmental entities that new rules are in the offing. In fact, the Federal Trade Commission released a set of guidelines less than a month ago on truth, fairness and equity in AI and stated in, in rather bold terms that it already considers itself to have the remit of regulating potentially illegal uses of AI. Similarly, actually, in the United States, we've seen federal financial regulators releasing a request for information on how banks use AI, which, you know, is, is most likely an indicator that, yeah, exactly, that something is in the offing there. But the most prominent proposal uh, is the one that the EU released on the 21st of April, which is its long-awaited, long-touted draft Artificial Intelligence Act, which has been in the works for the past three years or so. And that is now an official policy or legal draft, I should say, that's been handed over formally from the Commission to the EU Parliament and the Council of Ministers for the next stage of, of legislative deliberation. And this is really the first, the world's first set of potentially binding rules on the design and deployment of artificial intelligence tools. Okay. So the FTC, of course, is, was the policeman of the EU-US privacy shield. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what I understand from how data protection regulations in particular are evolving in the US, it's quite a state-by-state -state approach. So I guess your comments on what the FTC's guidelines were interesting, because perhaps are, are you seeing that there may be a national level set of guidelines coming down the pipe in the US for artificial intelligence that might make how to regulate it a bit more consistent across the various states? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. It's interesting on a number of levels. So let me try and unpack it a bit. First of all, what the FTC said in April was that they are currently in a position of enforcing a number of acts that already pertain to AI concerning the prohibition on unfair or deceptive practices, or for instance, that when you do credit risk assessments that you can't use racially biased algorithms. Um, there's the Equal Credit Opportunity Act. So that was very much about reminding developers and companies that existing laws already apply. What's also interesting, though, is that we are seeing um, on the state level the emergence of attempts to pass laws that regulate both data protection but AI. So in Virginia recently passed the Consumer Data Protection Act which has sections that cover high-risk algorithms. Um, California famously passed a sort of GDPR equivalent uh, a couple of years ago. But clearly, this kind of fragmented approach isn't ideal from the perspective of businesses. And that's, interestingly, why the EU, in part, is taking the lead here they are viewing their current efforts to regulate AI as, as part of a pretty wide set of legal proposals to 
deepen and strengthen the digital single market. So they want to pass a harmonized set of laws around AI that apply across the EU so that you don't have a situation where different countries have different rules within the EU. Of course, it would be even more interesting if that approach of sort of coordinating regulatory efforts were elevated on the national level to see some kind of cooperation between the US and the EU. Yes, but I think uh, obviously they're still trying to work out the issues caused by the Friends 2 judgment. So, you know, the whole, at the moment, we still don't have arguably a good solution for sending data from the EU to the US. So even that problem isn't solved fully. And here we are, we're now talking about a whole other sets of, of regulations of even more complex digital uh, processing. Well, that's right. And I think it's really important to stress to anyone who's listening to this, really, whether you're a business person or a private citizen or in some kind of public facing role, that it is absolutely imperative that the EU and the US prioritize almost above anything else, um, some kind of agreement on cross-border data flows. Because, you know, we really are in a new phase of the digital economy and erecting trade barriers in the digital domain is an absolute disaster particularly post-pandemic, when so many businesses can and want to take advantage of these new opportunities, but are currently being stymied by the fact that the European Court of Justice has struck down Privacy Shield, so there is no sort of certainty or, or legally stable framework at the moment to send data across the Atlantic, and that has all kinds of implications. It's not just for businesses, it's for researchers as well. You know, hearing a lot of complaints from people in medical research who, who are unable to cooperate across the Atlantic. So something really needs to be done there. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the opportunities out there for building solutions based on great data, great technology are, are almost boundless. You know, look how quick we managed to develop a vaccine. That's because people around the world were sharing information. And I don't, okay, it's slightly different, you know, because we're in the middle of a pandemic, but it shows how fast we can innovate when we need to. So would you say then that obviously it's clearly really important the EU and the US try and find solutions at a national uh, level because that drives and determines what can happen globally. But is there a race out there, do you think? I mean, is extensive and significant regulation in the EU and potentially in the US, is that maybe slowing them down in, in, in the race to develop AI and become the world's superpower in AI? So the answer is an unequivocal yes, there is a race. There's a two-level race, you could say. There's a, there's a technological commercial race around maturing novel AI technologies in order to, technologies in order to be able to deploy them, commercialize them. And then there's also a regulatory race that's happening. And the two races obviously interact with one another. And it's, it's absolutely critical that the design of laws and regulations around AI takes into account the impact it will have on future businesses, you know, ideas that haven't yet taken hold. I think for legislators, it's very tempting to sort of look at the status quo, differentiate between things you like and don't like, and then you try and craft legal frameworks that sort of, um, you know, squeeze the things you don't like. And there isn't due regard to how did that situation come about in the first place. 
and what's the sort of downstream impact, the unintended consequences, the second order effects are going to be of these laws. So in the EU specifically, um, the way the law is currently drafted would make it exceedingly costly and difficult for developers of new AI tools and systems, entrepreneurs of tomorrow to get started because they'd be faced with a really immense suite of requirements. And so it will most certainly slow down Europe's digital industry. And that's why it's important to bear in mind that there is simultaneously this competition in terms of developing and using AI on a global level where the EU is already significantly behind on many metrics, not just in terms of companies developing and using AI, but also just investment flows, the amount of resources being distributed. Um, it's really mostly going to the US and Asia and, and very little is flowing to Europe. So uh, it's a complicated answer, but it, it's all interrelated. And it, we're going to see now whether um, European policymakers realize that they can't um, kneecap their own AI industry in an effort to protect consumers. They also have to do something for Europe's digital economy. It's really important. Yes. I mean, when I had a look at some of the press releases around EU regulation, it became clear quite quickly that these regulations are going through the passage of approval, but together with other regulations. So not only is GDPR obviously currently still in place, which is all about data protection, data of individuals. There's also the Data Governance Act going through in the EU, the Digital Services Act, the Digital Markets Act, as well as a Data Act. So it's not just the artificial intelligence regulations. There's a whole range of other connected uh, regulations that impact data and digital services that businesses are going to have to look at. So having had firsthand experience of helping businesses get through their understanding and compliance for the Data Protection Act, you know, we've almost like taken a, a breath and gone, OK, I think we've just about got our heads around that. But hold on a sec. Coming down the line is the Artificial Intelligence Act. Now, obviously, in the UK, the ICO has already issued last year some guidance, some artificial intelligence uh, guidance, which I thought was very practical and very helpful. But it would be in it 80 pages long, you know, obviously not as long as the, the EU one. But, you know, I wonder how they would interact. What sort of scope and extra territoriality of the EU AI guidelines that's being proposed? Well, the EU as a sort of executive body, the European Commission, you could say its competitive advantage is the drafting and design of regulation, which is a sort of backhanded compliment. There is obviously a lot of legal competence in the European Commission, which partly explains why they are at times quite hyperactive in terms of um, drafting and um, suggesting new laws. But at the same time, they do try to take into account, to the extent possible, because oftentimes you only find out how these laws interact after they've been passed, that people try and apply them and make sense. But they do try and sort of anticipate potential clashes or contradictions or dependencies. So, for instance, the AI Act um, makes allowances for the fact that in order to abide by some of the 
ideas around monitoring for biases and discrimination, you have to collect personal sensitive data of kind that the GDPR is supposed to make it more difficult to collect. So there isn't on the face of it um, a great deal of overlap there. I think the, the way the EU views it is that it's just sort of a patchwork of regulation that's currently in the making. As you say, there's the Digital Services Act, the Digital Markets Act, and these are basically around, again, the digital single market, but it's all about how to, how to regulate um, large online platforms with issues of speech and access and data portability, but then also on matters concerning e-commerce and rules around digital gatekeepers, they call them large platforms that have an oversized impact on the structure of the digital market. But what I um, should stress is that the EU by and large views the GDPR as a success and they view it as a success in terms of the impact that it's had globally, that is. So it was very specifically and intentionally designed to apply extraterritorially if you, as a business, offer a service to European customers. And they've basically copied that exact same model for the AI Act. The intention is very much to craft a law that obliges anyone who wants to access the European market to abide by it. And interestingly, also the structure of the fines are, are the same. It's um, for severe breaches is actually slightly higher, but it's the same model where it's either 20 or in Curse's case of a severe breach, 30 million euro fine or 6% of global turnover, whichever is higher. So not only is it applicable if you're um, running your AI algorithms and processing on EU residents, it also presumably is applying if you happen to be using their data but are running that data in another country. If you're using EU citizens' data to build a data learning set, for example, would it apply because their data is in that data learning set, even though you're based in China or Australia or the US? That's an interesting question that I can't fully answer. Um, I would take a stab at it, though. Uh, my understanding is that the AI Act applies for AI tools that are offered in the market to consumers. So it's primarily a question of, not that you necessarily have to pay for this tool, but that it actively interacts with some kind of user. If you're talking about a situation where you're purely collecting data for research purposes, and that then gets sort of funneled outside of the uh, EU and processed elsewhere, then my understanding is that the GDPR would apply. And in order to transfer data out, you would have to have some agreement such as Privacy Shield with the jurisdiction that you intend to take the data to. So this AI Act is very much targeted at companies that want to offer AI-enabled services to European consumers. But it's a good example of how these topics are messy and complex, and there aren't clean lines between them. It's all very much blurred lines. A bit like Pecker and you know, GDPR on the, the whole issue around consent, you know. So that, you know, it's a nice one to trip people up from time to time. Okay, so that's interesting uh, how we're going to navigate that. Now, I understand that we've still got a few more years before this proposed law comes into force. Would you say that's right? Oh, yeah. 
it's just, I would say, at least two years because the process has just begun. So what happens now next on the formal level is it gets handed over to the European Parliament and the Council of Ministers, which is the forum for, for member states. And that's sort of a twin track uh, process where both the Council of Ministers and the European Parliament get to amend the legislation and sort of, you know, have their say on it. And only after that process is complete, will go back to Parliament for final vote. But this process is going to take a long time because less so with the Council of Ministers, they're able to just sort of get cracking fairly soon. But with Parliament, there's first going to be a big wrangle over which committee in the first instance gets its hand on the draft. Setting up a new committee. Well, they have a, a new committee um, for artificial intelligence in, in a digital age, but that's ad hoc. And so it doesn't have a formal statutory basis. So it will have to be one of the existing committees, maybe the one on the competition policy or the one on civil liberties or the legal committee, or maybe they will have some kind of joint forum for a number of committees to uh, have, have their say. But the point is, even deciding that is already going to take a number of months because basically everyone wants to have involvement. And only after the committee is decided and then the committee gets first dibs and only then eventually does it end up in Parliament. So this is going to be drawn out. The stakes are high, right? And then when it's passed, it's going to take another two years before it actually becomes law and comes into force. So let's just talk a little bit about some of the obligations that are coming down the line for businesses. And, And obviously, am I right in understanding that the proposed EU law applies to high-risk AI systems, or is any, just any AI system? Well, you know, technically speaking, it does cover any AI system, but the legislation is risk-based. So it means that there's an escalating uh, set of requirements based on how high-risk the legislation deems your AI application to be, but you're still captured by the legislation, even if you offer a non-risk AI product, insofar as the definition of AI will still mean you're included in the act. And it does mean, actually, that in future, this act can be amended. It can actually be amended by the commission through something called delegated acts to increase, for instance, the list of high-risk applications. So that's why any business that has any kind of AI tool in the works or currently on offer should take a closer look. But you are right to say that for low and medium risk AI applications, at the moment, there aren't very many obligations that the Act foresees, uh, mostly voluntary labeling ones. For instance, if you generate deep fake imagery or, or videos, you have to you label that. And there's also a voluntary labeling scheme that they encourage low-risk AI providers to sign up to to just sort of offer information to consumers. But the act really begins to kick in and have teeth for uh, high-risk AI systems. And then there's a number of AI uses that are actually prohibited outright. And now risk is defined twofold as anything that's a risk to fundamental rights or to health and safety. Um, That contains AI. Uh, yeah, it, that's the sort of basis in which they approach it. And I can go into more detail around, you know, what are the high risk areas and what are the rules around? Well, I mean, certainly, I mean, I've got some notes from the 
AI governance checklist and the guidance that the ICO put out, which I thought were really useful and written in a, an easy to understand way with lots of different examples and stuff. So, you know, they talk about, you know, making sure you've got the right governance within the organization, uh, defining your relationships with third parties. Are you buying in AI from another company who's developed it and you're using it for your customers? And, or where are you in that whole supply chain or, or the value chain even? Have you built it? Are you using it? Are you passing it on? As we talk about that, that's really important to define. The risk management around it. So again, a risk-based approach, What really being clear about what you're doing, um, what are the risks to individuals, what's a lawful basis for the data sets that you're building. Uh, they also talk about trade-offs and competing interests, which I thought was um, an interesting one. The trade-off between training um, an accurate AI system versus for example, reducing the quantity of personal data used to process to train that system. Now, I don't know what you think about that because my understanding of machine learning is that generally the larger the data set, the better to produce a more accurate outcome. Of course, that brings in the GDPR and data minimization and lawful basis, etc. Well, I think that the ICO's guidance, which I've read and which was actually relevant for the business that I previously helped found, speaks to the sophistication with which the UK approaches these issues because they're guidelines, they are sort of they give you a general direction of travel, but other than the Data Protection Act's requirements around handling personal data and sort of subject access requests and all the things that GDPR really gave rise to. Other than those legal guardrails, the ICO is just sort of establishing a general framework within which businesses can think about how do they want to design, develop, and deploy AI. Uh, but it's aware of the difficulty of creating hard and fast rules. And that, unfortunately, is something that the use AI Act absolutely does not do. It takes hard stances. Uh, so for instance, currently the act requires data sets used in high-risk AI to be complete and error-free, which is That's uh, quite a goal for any business. <laughs> That's an impossible bar to set. But then they also demand things like decisions have to be traceable, which is not realistic for certain types of machine learning, certain approaches to AI. It might be a laudable aspiration, right? It, it might be something you want to encourage people to do, but it's a bit different from saying it has to be traceable. There are other additional requirements, like you have to be able to oversee how the system works and you have to build in design features to avoid an over-reliance on the system's outputs, which might defeat the very purpose of having a system because you want the system to be able to automate certain things. There are also requirements around meeting a high level of accuracy. It's just, that's quite a minefield. There's a degree of subjectivity in all of these things, but then there's also some conceptual problems. Just to go back earlier for the benefit of the listeners, the list of high-risk systems is systems that are used in critical infrastructure, systems that are used for educational or employment purposes. Again, that's very wide. Employment purposes means anything from 
recruitment to management to anything affecting your workforce systems used for eligibility of, for public benefits credit scoring systems which again fairly wide uh, spread use at the moment yeah i mean i i don't see there's anything in place for those you know having gone through and heard of people going through uh, applications for credit to be turned down when actually there seems to be no obvious reason and when you phone the bank nobody can tell you why the machine said no that that's been going on for years and that's what the interesting thing is about this law that ai has become a focal point for societies to sort of put all their concerns around technology in one label the issue isn't so much ai at all there is some valid concern around ai potentially being more intransparent or more inscrutable than other forms of digital technology and also able to act faster and at greater scale really it seems to me that we've just arrived at a point in time where people are sort of putting their foot down and saying right we've got to do something about um digital technology but the horse has bolted because this technology we're just sort of on a trajectory that was kickstarted really half a century ago but, but began to take off in the 80s and 90s uh, and it's the process of being able to use algorithms digital algorithms embedded in sort of physical hardware right these software complex software products that take decisions and execute instructions that aren't clearly readily um discernible to the user um and whether or not you call it ai is kind of beside the point and that's why the use approach is actually to cast the definitional net of ai very wide i think the intention is that most decision making systems should be covered with a specific focus on these high risk areas which again are pretty widely defined as it stands now here's a question that's occurred to me and you know i hope i'm not going way off track here but just as you were thank you very eloquently defining and you're right i mean i've been in technology for 30 years do you see a distinction between something that might be called artificial intelligence and something that might be called uh, intelligent automation because you know credit scoring is a great one i mean it's been around i know how they built the credit scoring decision making tools because i used to work in lending so i i understand the inputs that go into assessing whether someone can have a loan which is why i'm often surprised to hear you know people who have got loads of assets not getting loans because i think hold on a minute when i was in the bank you know i would have a look at the whole picture of an individual and say right okay this this and this you've got these assets you've got this level of income if it's a young person you might get a guarantor from a, from parents or whatever but it seems to me from okay anecdotally that some of these credit scoring algorithms are are just looking at a, quite a, a thin layer of information and that feels to me a bit more like just automation as opposed to what i understand to be machine learning which i think is just another a whole other dimension of of automation so i don't know is do you see is is there a difference between intelligent automation and artificial intelligence well if you wanted to be controversial you would say that what we are experiencing at the moment we actually 
don't have much more than intelligent automation at the moment. Bear in mind that you know the terminology that is used isn't necessarily indicative of the ground truth, and it's very much contestable whether we are anywhere close to something you can call artificial intelligence in the human sense. I can give you some examples of that. Obviously, you can see machines doing amazing things at the moment in terms of like natural language processing or image recognition. There's no doubt that the capabilities yeah. of these systems have really dramatically increased over the last decade. It should be pointed out that a lot of the underlying computer science theory is, is in many cases decades old. And all that's really changed is our computing hardware has enabled us to actually apply um, these ideas. Okay. Exactly. But, you know, even if you take something like natural language processing, where there are very impressive systems out there right now that can generate text that looks exactly like something a human would generate. But it's still very, very difficult, if not impossible, to build AI agents that can engage in open-ended, long stretches of conversation without losing coherence. That's when you're talking about moving from one rather small, defined problem that might take massive amounts of compute and a complex algorithm to solve to sort of tying it into much larger systems that in humans we would call common sense. And it's the same with um, image recognition. We have excellent computer vision systems that can sort of segment and detect objects with an extremely high level of accuracy. But that's not the same as creating something that's as versatile as human vision um, where we can just sort of spontaneously detect things in a sort of mobile dynamic manner. We, as from a young age, learn to integrate vision into decision-making. Human intelligence is integrated. These algorithmic systems are still brittle and relatively speaking less narrow, much less narrow than they used to be, but they're still narrow in the, in the grand scheme of things. And that sensitive also to all kinds of adversarial attacks. You can undermine these, these systems uh, and they cannot mimic the full scope of tasks that biological intelligence can accomplish. Now, I don't want to be the kind of guy who just sits here and says, oh, AI is all just hype um, and it's not really. Obviously, things are changing in a fundamental manner and, and data-driven automation and so forth is, is here to stay. It's going to get better. But we also must make the mistake of thinking that artificial intelligence in the sense that it can emulate human intelligence is around the corner. The things that we humans do without much thought, looking out, engaging with the world, engaging with each other's, intuitively picking up skills, walking down sidewalks, those are very hard challenges for, for machines to, to solve. And, and I wonder if that's why building self-driving cars is quite a task as well, right? Because they're so... There's so many permutations. It's an absolutely fascinating space, I have to say. So, thank you. Yeah, we. sorry, I did take you off down a little bit of a rabbit hole there. Yeah, so we talked about some of the obligations on, on businesses. And it's not just one business who's building the algorithm. It could be other parts of the supply chain or the value chain that they're in. And any standouts that you think would be useful sharing with businesses? I mean, obviously... The EU artificial intelligence laws are still going through, you know, their due process and there's, there's a number of years to go. But the guidelines from the ICO are a useful starting point. 
I would suggest, and I think you might agree with that, if businesses want to start there and start implementing some of the recommendations that, that they put forward. Certainly in the UK, I would say that's a great starting point. I would also encourage any budding entrepreneur based in Europe with ideas around AI to pack their bags and hop over the channel and come to the UK and set up their business here. It's really an excellent environment to do it in. The UK is very business friendly for startups and young entrepreneurs. And I think, unfortunately, for the EU, much though I love the idea of the European Union and I understand its uh, purpose um, find it uh, worthy of support i think they are committing a number of unforced errors around the ability of, of businesses to develop but also adopt ai and i think that goes directly to the question you're asking because the regulatory obligations that the act creates they fall on the party that places the system on the market so that's either the ai developer but it's also if you as a small business want to buy off-the-shelf software and use it under your own brand the act applies to you and that's a nightmare for small businesses but there's all kinds of obligations in the act it applies to distributors importers users the the, the lion's share of the obligations fall on the the so-called provider of the system which can be the developer but doesn't have to be it can also just be the the user in insofar as the user is a business that wants to deploy this ai tool um, on the front line Okay, well, it's worth people remembering. Once COVID's over, I get on a plane. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, okay, so yeah, I think we've come to the end of our topics for our podcast today. I mean, it's clearly a really deep subject and, you know, 100 and odd pages of a proposed law is a, is a lot of depth that, you know, you can go into. I think we've managed to pull out the salient points for businesses and, you know, it's really important to end on a positive note. So have you got any sort of positive takeaways for businesses to, so, so they're not completely, we haven't completely scared them on the, on the regulatory front. Yeah, I'm extremely positive about where we are in history. You know, you read a lot of negative news and sort of this idea that everything is, is going down the tubes, but I disagree entirely. We're actually at the cusp of a, fascinating new age of technological development that's going to impact so many aspects of our lives from healthcare to just more intelligent computers and we should be very much optimistic around the potential it has for us as consumers but also for businesses and i would encourage smes in particular to think about how can they um, deploy ai you know to optimize supply chain management and logistics and distribution um, there's all kinds of ways in which automation can benefit you as a business it doesn't it doesn't always have to mean you're gonna you know want to build the next google you basically want to ask yourself up and down the entire value chain that you operate in where can you make these sort of iterative optimization improvements that will improve your bottom line so by all means don't be scared off and I would also say a bit of a self-plug here, but it's uh, this AI Act. I've published a, a, a three-page explainer, which is available on the um, Center for Data Innovations website. And that sort of summarizes in a pithy manner what the broad brush strokes of the law are. Um, and then I would also, as you already did, point people to the ICO's guidance. Um, there are resources out there. Don't be daunted by the fact that the technology seems inaccessible. Um, it's inaccessible to most people, even for computer in, uh, people in computer science. But the implementation of these laws 
you know, that's uh, where there are a number of very well qualified individuals working on that in government and outside. So there are resources out there, take advantage of. Oh, that's really well said. Thank you, Ben. Um, I think you're right. It is a very exciting time in our development. And I think the point you made about AI for optimizing supply chains, etc., not just for your bottom line, for your business, but for society as a whole to reduce waste, eliminate areas and materials that um, may be overused. So I think there's a huge, huge amount of potential benefits that we will hopefully be delivering in the short term. So uh, unfortunately, that brings us to the end of this episode of GDPR Now. If our listeners have got any questions, please do email me. Also, I'll put a link to Ben's note on the um, artificial intelligence laws that, from the EU that are being proposed, plus his contact details if anybody wants to get in touch to ask any questions. And as always, if anyone would like to appear on the podcast, please do let us know. So to our listeners, thanks for listening. And to Ben, thank you again for coming on the show. You're very welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, hope to hear from your listeners uh, what they make of all this stuff. I'm sure you will. Thank you. It's been great to speak to you. So take care, everyone, and stay safe.